Welcome to The Aggregate, hosted by Kinetic Ventures. This is a project based on the learnings from Startup DNA and the founder's journey. Good afternoon. Uh, we have a special guest on this uh, very special episode two of Startup DNA Profiles. Uh, Alex Burkhart is with me in the studio. Uh, Alex, can you give the audience a little intro- introduction to yourself and some background? Hey, everybody. I'm Alex Burkhart, uh, kind of serial entrepreneur here in Cincinnati, also a college professor at the University of Cincinnati. Everybody that knows me, I've, I've got about 100 different things going on. Uh, most notably right now is I have an Amazon delivery service business that delivers packages in the greater Cincinnati area. So typically if uh, your Amazon packages are late, uh, for some reason you can you can call me and, and blame me, but uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, so that's, uh, and also help out the Kinetic team on a various different ways, uh, especially on the, the Wendell platform. And uh, as I mentioned, this is part two in the Startup DNA profile series. Uh, so, so our goal here, you know, we do a founder journey where we interview and talk to founders in the Kinetic portfolio about themselves, their journeys, uh, likes, dislikes, and really what, what we're doing from there is we're take once we aggregate enough similar profiles, we're diving into individual profiles a little more deeply to really understand what makes people tick, what makes a disruptor a disruptor, accelerator accelerator. And this is the, the second edition where we're diving into the disruptor profile. Uh, so with that said, can you give a little background on your profile? I know um, we did a podcast with Alex and dove into his profile uh, a little deeper in episode one, but maybe tell the audience from your perspective who you are from a startup DNA lens. Yeah. So on the startup DNA lens, I fall into the enterpriser vector and most specifically uh, from a profile perspective, uh, an accelerator. So an accelerator is kind of uh, what it sounds like, someone that likes to move fast, uh, sometimes breaks things in good ways and in bad ways. Um, I oftentimes uh, you know, say when I'm talking about my Amazon delivery service business, I wanna hire any type of profile but my own. What I mean by that is uh, uh, if someone's driving an Amazon delivery van and delivering packages, uh, I would likely be the profile that would end up on Barstool Sports or uh, <laughs> uh, some kind of viral video where someone forgot to put the Amazon van in park and then it was rolling down the hill the wrong way just because my mind is always thinking forward and on the next thing and sometimes the, the little details can can fall through the cracks. But ultimately, I'm driven by you know continuing to have progress and, and doing things uh, that kind of change the world in productive and efficient ways. So That reminds me of a story. Uh, that you hopped into a car and ended up driving two hours, uh, not in the right car before you even realized it. But maybe we'll save that for a different time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. So today we're going to dive into the disruptor. Uh, the d- disruptor is in the enterprise vector. So they're enterprisers. They'd like to take charge. They're proactive and assertive. Uh, I, I didn't do an intro on myself. I'm a problem solver. So it's kind of interesting. Alex and I sit right on the ends of the disruptor. So there are traits that we share uh, across the board with this profile, but we're also very different. So I think this will be a good discussion. And we both know a ton of disruptors and we definitely don't self-identify <laughs> with this profile. Uh, so we'll definitely share personal learnings and experiences working with the disruptor. 
So at Highview, disruptors are accurate risk takers that are impatient and always looking to create the next big business or even industry. They also have a very keen ability to inspire those around them. They're amazing storytellers. Uh, they're blunt, so straightforward. They're definitely assertive. Uh, they like to delegate. They, they're just they're really big picture thinkers that really like to hand off the specifics to others on their team. Potential pitfalls that could be are stubborn or opinionated. Uh, too tough-minded or authoritative, and they may recoil at too much structure. So they really do well, thrive in loose environments where they're given autonomy, you know, similar to an accelerator. But Alex and I were talking, what, what are the differences, which we'll definitely dive into deeper. But the biggest one, they're just great storytellers looking for very big, big opportunities. So, Alex, I know you know personally many disruptors. Any high-level sharing before we dive into some of the deeper traits here? Yeah, I mean, in, in the other big piece that, you know, sometimes is they're known for to kind of be different from the other uh, profiles in the enterpriser vector is that they are one of the most proactive profiles. So, and it's funny is, is sometimes they can come back as, you know, they like loose structure and they don't need to be in an environment where they're boxed in. But in order to move the needle and to ultimately disrupt the, the industry that they're in, they, they do need to be overly proactive. And, and sometimes that can be tough when they're with other types of profiles that might not move as fast uh, or want to pay attention a little bit more to the details is sometimes it's like, hey, they'll carry them across the finish line, but they're pretty quick to be like, hey, I need this specific profile that compliments me because I know that I need to be uh, pretty accurate in, in how I have to move in order to to disrupt the industry that I'm going after. So uh, that's kind of at a high level of you know the disruptors, but happy to dive into further stories and details as we as we move through this. Yeah, great. And from a VC lens, disruptors are one of our ideal profiles we're looking for uh, in CEOs. As we've mentioned, highly proactive, trying to solve big business opportunities with tons of upside. Uh, with that, it brings, they're really looking for big risk, big reward, which is exactly the type of profile that venture capitalists are looking for. So this profile might not jive as well with angel investors, or, you know, how they think of it. They might not have the, the really well thought out pro forma, uh, super detailed about exactly how to get to 10 million revenue, but you do know that there's potentially a hundred million in revenue at the end of the road. And uh, of course, we're a data company. We've got lots of data on all profiles. Uh, in the CEO's role specifically, disruptors are pretty much tied with accelerators in terms of performance and probability of returning capital to investors. They return capital 69 to 70% of the time uh, compared to the venture average and our average uh, that we've kind of matched up with uh, the VC uh, historics is 34%. So you can view it, they're two times more likely to have a successful outcome than average. So diving into, uh, we're going to go through four overarching buckets that we think of and kind of talk through when we're doing coaching, training, you know, who, who, who is a disruptor? What makes them tick? Uh, so the first being 
they have a really deep intuition that is magnified by data. So anything they're going into trying to solve, it's it's always a gut feel, but it's enriched by data they've either read about, lived throughout their lives. It's very it's it looks at the surface completely intuition and gut driven, but it's backed by a lot of good data. So we're going to listen to uh, two founders. One's Brad Zapp, a managing partner of Kinetic. Uh, Alex and I know and work with them daily. Uh, and the other's Gavi Bechtrup, who is a two-time founder and is currently running for mayor of Cincinnati. So we're going to listen to a few quotes as it relates to uh, following their intuition. And uh, then Alex and I will come back and discuss. Truth of it is, I fell in love with statistics uh, when I was first introduced to it. This leads into Wendell, but I, I fell in love with statistics at the University of Kentucky, and I uh, wrote a predictive algorithm, a regression analysis around a passion of mine, which was baseball. Anyways, my algorithm was a little bit different than the Moneyball movie. I really focused on starting pitchers, but I also wrote mine in 1997, which is four years yeah. before the kid from Yale. Anyways, had the Reds for example, followed my algorithm, it would have told them in 1998 to go get John Smoltz and Tim Hudson. And had they done that, they would have had two linchpin Hall of Famers. Yeah, totally. But I never got to commercialize that idea. And I ended up into uh, finance and co-founding a federally registered investment advisory practice. And we served the uh, mass affluent and affluent marketplace. We did really well. And uh, because my partners were, were awesome, they eventually, as we grew the firm, I wanted to do something else as the angel investing and, and the idea of venture capital sort of came into my sphere. Mm-hmm. So I was able to exit that company and then I uh, launched Kinetic. And from there, you know, I noticed sort of some of the problems that investors face, particularly in the early stage investing and just sort of how archaic the venture capital model was compared to the public capital markets. Mm-hmm. And that's where I like leaned back into my, you know, history. And I was like, oh my God, I think we can moneyball this. You can actually take, take the sun's light and you can shift it so that it hits exactly the right spectrum to make a tomato plant produce beautiful tomatoes. And that's real. It's good science. We made this great filter technology. We got $150,000, actually $180,000 from the National Science Foundation. We got money from, uh, the state of Kentucky in a matching grant, we raised some private dollars. Um, and what we did was prove that the technology worked uh, and it could be manufactured. We worked with a manufacturer in Louisville who is really wonderful. Um, and we proved that although you could manufacture it, the price point for manufacturing was about a thousand X away from where it needed to be for that product to make money. Those were great. Alex, any initial thoughts on uh, what you just heard from Gabby and Brad? Well, you know, on, on Brad's front specifically, one, because I know him so well and also hearing it again uh, through his, his story is just he's the perfect example of what we talked about with the disruptor, uh, having that strong intuition and being guided by instincts, but then really being able to magnify things by data. And it's his story where he talks about how he invented Moneyball before Moneyball was invented. You are, know, you, are you buying that? I, I you know, sometimes I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know if that's his uh, his way of making the sto- his storytelling that much more impactful, uh, right? Yeah. So sometimes when you see those movies, it's like, okay, well, 
there's uh, some historical fiction there, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, a, a part of it though is, is if you think about what would make a world class investor or a, a scout in his moneyball sense with baseball, right? Is you've got that person that's been around the block, seen entrepreneurs, seen athletes, or whatever it is, and just knows in their core that that person's going to win. And I do think disruptors have that innate ability to identify that and see that. However, they're uh, humble enough to say, hey, why not have a tool or an instrument or something that allows me to be more accurate than I am by just my intuition? And so I think that's what Brad's been able to do, you know, not only with the kinetic workflow and by introducing and creating Wendell that allows them to make better structured uh, decisions that aren't informed by bias. Uh, and, and I think that ultimately disruptors do a great job of that. And I've seen it even outside of Brad, right? I mentioned in the beginning, I've been you know, studying the disruptor profile and, and work with several different ones. And I've seen that where uh, they're very analytical deep down. They might be able to simplify that in a compelling way via how they get that message across. And they're not necessarily in Excel spreadsheets all day. And, and that's what they do, but they're, they're able to go toe to toe with some of the best uh, that are able to do that and then ultimately find the very impactful things that help them make the sound decisions. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when Brad talked about in venture capital how the pitch is fundamentally broken where investors make up their mind within the first 90 seconds of whether they like a founder, like a business idea, and really uh, probably whether they're going to invest or not. And you know, to Brad's credit, he... At Kinetic, we had pitch days. We people came in the office, and almost every time we roll our eyes at the end of it, and and we just whiteboarded one day because we knew fundamentally, and he knew gut in his gut that this is not the future. This is not possible. And it's crazy. Venture capital was launched as an idea, really in practice, in the 1960s, and back then it was investment committee driven. And so fast forward. But 60 plus years later, it's the exact same decision-making process. So it's just interesting. This profile seems to follow their gut initially, collect all the data afterwards to find you know, what's the best path forward uh, now that I have this, this mission. For sure. So Alex, as an accelerator, intuition, gut, data, how does your brain process like uh, the companies you've launched? What what are the steps you go through personally? Yeah, and what's funny is is because as much as we relate with the disruptor, you know, we both, as you say, straddle on each side of it. And I would say is the accelerator probably leans a little bit more of like, all right, less data focus. Okay, just really do and just keep moving forward, right? And and I'll say that's oftentimes the the analogy that I use is you know I build the plane as I fly it. Uh, <laughs> now I'm getting better as I as I evolve, and when you have businesses that get bigger and there's higher risk, higher reward, you you need to flex up into what a lot of I've seen disruptors do really well is is hey let's maybe move a little bit slower here. We can still move forward, but let's let's analyze some of the stuff we're doing and make sure that we we're building something that can sustainably scale. Otherwise, the accelerator is just going to keep pushing forward and and ultimately uh, create something that may not be sustainable long term. Where on the other side, what I've seen from the problem solver, right, is they typically will be the ones that will have a better game plan, right? A better playbook, uh, a lot more data to their disposal. And they're not scared to to launch. They're not scared to move forward, but they're going to be a little bit slower than the accelerator disruptor would be to, to get themselves out there and to push it forward. And 
it helps with their accuracy and almost their precision in the process because they're able to do that. But I find that that's why sometimes the accelerator and the problem solver naturally gravitate towards a disruptor because they can kind of complement uh, the greater complement that, that guides them all together of, of what's our why here? Why are we going about this? Why, we both want to solve and, and change the world and disrupt the world, but we come at it from two different lenses. Yeah, I'm the one knee-deep in Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> and <laughs> Brad tells me I've got a gut feeling and uh, uh, we work so well together at this point Then I just flex into my data analytics Excel uh, experience. So it, it works well, but yeah, it's, it's interesting when you look at our wheel, hopefully you take the assessment so close and yet so different uh, in terms of how we operate, how we think. So really the, the next big overarching bucket they have uh, extreme passion, purpose, pursuing a big idea. And so we'll, we'll play some clips that I think this is one of the most obvious ones that we heard, just knowing disruptors. This, this is one of the buckets that comes across immediately in everything they do. Really personal issue to me. Uh, and I'll tell you, one of my best friends that I've known for 20 years, uh, was struck with uh, kidney disease, advanced kidney disease, very early in his life, in his uh, in his forties. And uh, I watched over the course of this company, over the course of Akron, I'd talk to my friend, and he was um, he was getting worse and worse and worse, and moving towards dialysis and getting you know getting home dialysis, having to get you know a a, a port put in. Um, and the amazing thing is that there is a marker in sweat. Um, one of the things that happens when your kidneys start shutting down is that you start uh, producing a lot of urea that comes out in your sweat. It causes this frost and you'll see this in advanced kidney disease patients where they'll have kind of, it'll look like they have crystallized, they do have crystallized sweat all over them. Um, and so you can actually, one indicator of kidney function is through, through that biomarker. And so that, that wasn't where we were starting, but part of what got me so excited about this idea was if we could manage his dialysis and manage his disease without having to draw blood, um, you know, if we could just spread out the, the dialysis. So it was every three weeks instead of every two weeks by doing real time feedback, you know, that'd be a big deal for him. And I will tell you, uh, you know, 20, there's things like that that keep you going when, when startups are hard. So we started building this, you know, industrial psychology science based system to track all things team and turn them into data points that we could track over time to see if it matters. And so that we really just built Lindell to solve this, this problem that we were having. Um, and we knew we were having it, but we saw it widespread in the whole industry. The quote or even part of that story uh, that specifically stands out to me around passion and purpose is, is what Gavi had to say when he was creating, you know, Ekron systems, right? Um, one, you heard another theme of, you know, they want to, do something big and at scale and, and, and wants to, to really disrupt an industry. And, and even to a point where at one point that level of disruption that was wanted by his investors ultimately could have, you know, been a part of what didn't work out as well as he maybe had wanted because they were literally trying to change something so radically that it ultimately uh, just didn't line up from what the investment that was needed to go to do that and what the consumer marketplace was willing to bear. And so what I mean by that is if you think about uh, Gavi and why he went 
and started and, and pushed forward through all the, the barriers that came along with Ekron Systems is because of a story about a good friend, right? That, um, you know, was struggling with kidney failure and, and different things that were, were going on with that and just continue, continuously having to get pricked and, you know, have blood drawn and just what that can wear and tear on your body. And we all can relate to that in some shape or form. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, hey, do we want to have to go to the doctor and have a needle or, you know, our blood drawn. I mean, just, it's, just a, it's an innate scary thing for, for most people. And so his passion and purpose was how do I make that simpler? How do I change the world by we all sweat? I mean, heck, I'm sweating right now on this podcast, right? You got, you got me in this room and I'm like, all right. Toasty, and man. it's like, okay, if I can be uh, collecting, uh, you know, stuff in my body that can ultimately impact uh, and tell me whether I have kidney failure or other things wrong with my body, wouldn't I rather do that through sweat over blood? Heck yeah. And, and in theory, that, that sounds perfect. But once you get under the hood, I mean, there's obviously a lot of data and science and, and, and things that go into that. But ultimately, you could hear in Gavi's voice um, of how motivated he was to truly disrupt that. And I think that's what makes a lot of great disruptors great, is that they not only want uh, to go after and change the world, but they want to do it with something that they have true passion and purpose, whether that's a good friend um, or a family member or anybody that uh, really sticks out to them in their life to, that guides them to do what they want to do. And, you know, I would say from my profile perspective, I'm guided and I think we all are to want to do those things as, as well. And, and, and in my journey, I've done quite a different things and I can tell sometimes my passion and purpose sometimes gets misconstrued or, you know, I might say, Hey, I want to go start this ticket company because I like sports, but am I really, is that really my passion and purpose? Do I want to make something more convenient? Do I want to change people's lives? And, and I would say that is important from my accelerator profile, but I would say specifically for the disruptor that they can't see and dream as big as they can unless they truly love mm -hmm. uh, what it is that they're tackling. And, and it might be uh, a behind the scenes, a little bit less out in the open, why that you have to get to know someone long-term to really uncover what that is. Yeah. Uh, passion, purpose, you talked about the big idea. I mean, they were trying to create an entirely new category, an entirely new vertical within healthcare. Yeah, if I'm just putting myself in his shoes, I would have been like, holy shit, Theranos happened. We can't do this. Like, yep. <laughs> I, I'm too, too data-driven, too practical. I know everything that's failed, and I, I almost tie it to it. So it, it is profile type of person has this really innate, you know, even when Gabi was talking about, um, what was his first venture? It was something crazy. It's not rolling off. Some, some kind of energy from sunlight that couldn't be manufactured. I, I, my brain, this, this can't be done efficiently. Yep. And I just, that's fact, mm -hmm. but it's not fact. It's, it's funny. The businesses both went into, so it's, they're so hard. Even, you know, Brad launched Wendell technology company trying to solve something that billion dollar venture capital funds with 10, $25 million operating budgets haven't even tried or they've dabbled. Google Ventures has a machine learning arm. We've never heard anything, read anything published from them. But why as a small VC in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, do you think you can compete or uh, have the tech technical ability or, you know, backing to be able to solve this. Yeah. And I think it's the ability that he's even willing to try, right? Mm -hmm. Where sometimes, you know, I think it's one of the great things again about the disruptor is, and I heard a little bit about it in his conversation with Matt, 
um, you know, from a previous podcast as well, uh, who, who's a strategist, you know, they were kind of talking a little bit about how you sniff out, you know, something to go after and, and, and not, right? Because a lot of people want to go, you know, hey, oh, that guy wants to do that. Is he just an imposter of something that is just not real? And, and I think, and you brought up Theranos, right? Like initially someone's mind's going to go to Elizabeth was a disruptor. Well, maybe, I don't know. Or maybe she was, just didn't have enough time. Right. But I think the ability where a disruptor can go in and say, Hey, well, maybe in the Theranos space, that doesn't smell right. And I'm going to go back it up by data. And the data tells me it still doesn't (laughs) smell right. Right. But in this case, right. Okay. How can I at least be innately curious enough to say, Hey, yeah, that's how venture capital is working, but the public markets have all of these deep instruments to help them properly predict and analyze Quant to, to quantify. Or... Yeah. And, and why can't that be done on the venture capitalist route? And, and some could say it's, Hey, it's just, it's a crapshoot. Just, it's not worth your time. Or there's egos that get involved and say, Hey, we had these great returns. It's not broke. You know, why try to fix it? And I think again, in that story about Brad and what you were kind of building upon there is, Again, that ability to, to go back to what we talked about earlier is what's the intuition tell you? What are you, you know, hearing and seeing, but then ultimately what are you backing up and then willing to go after? And I think when those all collide, the balance of going after something big um, and, and kind of trusting your moral compass, but then backing it up by real data, I think ultimately is why disruptors, if having enough time and enough uh, proper teammates to do so, then they can ultimately be the ones that can create a billion dollar company. It's it, I, I haven't thought about this before, but I was just thinking about it as you were talking. Uh, I can recall maybe 10, 15 problem solvers off the top of my head. I completely get their business. They're CEOs that have applied to Kinetic. First, a slide of the pitch deck after they were uh, referred to us past Wendell. I'm like, I get this. Like, yeah, this, this executes, this scales, this is good. Yeah. And I'm thinking there's two disruptors this week. I'm like, what the shit are they doing? <laughs> yep. Like, I, I can't wrap my head. Uh, it's almost like, you know, blockchain, all these new technologies. It, it, my brain feels that similar confusion. So I, I don't know. It's an interesting, this, we'll see how it plays out, but I know personally recently that's been a kind of a common thread among the disruptor as I don't always get it. And that's not a bad thing. That's probably a good thing. Yeah, for sure. All right. So the next big bucket, great storytellers that are really clear on the why and the how. And everybody would say team, team, team. Yeah. But if you looked at the diligence or the questions that they would ask, we only really saw two or three types of questions. You know, you had the financial questions and you had the market size questions um, and you had the product questions. Sure. But if team was 50% importance, why was it 0% of the questions? Yep. I think the answer is maybe they just don't pay industrial psychologists enough. Well, that's for sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Or, or we get those types of questions. And I thought that was... That was fascinating that if we could solve that, then we could probably, you know, use that data in a very valuable way. So if you think about the pitch and how broken the pitch is from receiving information to help make an investment decision, you have these founders who are typically super passionate about their idea. They're coached and coached and coached and they practice and practice. They practice. And they get up in front of you. You've never met them before. And then they present this opportunity. And your brain is hardwired Mm -hmm. within the first 90 seconds to love it or hate it. 
And anything you do after that is immediately biased. And we just didn't think that was like super helpful because some people admittedly, particularly social, attractive, Mm -hmm. male, they do better in those environments, particularly when you're presenting to largely white male audiences than say minorities and, and females. Absolutely. And so your the capital allocation gets all backwards. And of course, this is supported by data where you can see that, you know, pick the numbers, whether it's 88% or 92% of all capital goes to all white male teams, even though their failure rate's roughly 65%. To wow. me, that just didn't make any sense. No. Well, you can't say risk without reward. Right. I like that one. Yeah. Well, I, I think, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the deal junkies or the gamblers, yep. they want risk. Yep. <laughs> if your deal's too safe literally so i have a buddy of mine he's a he's a great entrepreneur he's taken over a a small logistics company and he's turned it into quite a big one and when i when i was you know presenting you know one of my opportunities he literally just said brad it's just not risky enough wow i i need something you know that's scary and build back a city that makes us all proud and we all love this region we love this city and when I say Cincinnati, obviously I'm running for mayor of the city of Cincinnati. But one of the things that have driven me crazy as someone who's who had a company in uh, Covington, who's worked all over the region, um, has worked with startups all over the region, is we're incredibly silent. We're incredibly parochial. We view from City Hall views the city ending at, you know, at, at the borders. But the reality is. The region grows and Cincinnati grows. Cincinnati is the beating heart of a 2 million person economic region. And what's good for Covington is good for Cincinnati. What's good for Norwood, what's good for Blue Ash is good for Cincinnati. And we need to pick up our heads, look at our friends across the river, look at our friends in the surrounding neighborhoods and suburbs and in the county and start working together to build a Cincinnati that is is working for everyone and is creating better jobs and opportunities. That was great. Alex, any initial thoughts on Brad and Gavi uh, or disruptors in general being great problem or great storytellers and convincing you of their business? Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about both of them and start with Brad, right? Because even if he didn't say it in his podcast, I know. I mean, Brad is is great about telling stories of of even why he came up with uh, Wendell in the first place. He oftentimes tells the story about his his father and and his and the successes that he had with a previous business and how his you know father always kind of wanted uh, you know him to maybe do things a little bit differently and never maybe understood why Brad was the way that he was and they had some conflict but overall you know good relationship <laughs> healthy and, conflict. you know healthy conflict but ultimately it's his ability to then kind of package that up and say hey like I finally figured out why I was different and I am able to be successful in my own right well it's because of I'm innately deep within my DNA is different. And and not only did he just say that he went and built something for it. Right. And I think it goes back to uh, what we see with a lot of disruptors. They're able to raise capital and, and get people on their teams to buy into their vision because they're a good storyteller. And, and if, and it's not always telling uh, the investor or the uh, potential employee exactly what they want to hear it's it's telling them maybe uh, from a different lens uh, what what they might not want to hear, but then sometimes they're they're playing to their audience. So if you hear from you know from Brad's standpoint, we talked about um, some of the investors that sometimes want 
a high risk, high reward startup, right? Or one, uh, if they have that, then they have the opportunity for a greater reward. Where if you're talking to a certain uh, type of investor when, when raising capital and you're kind of just doing a linear playbook that seems and smells and, and, and feels as if it's going to be a pretty simple thing, well, then it's like, okay, well, that's too good to be true. And, and, and if that can be done, then, then what's the ultimate reward from that? So I think Brad does a really good job with how, you know, he's even done that when I've talked to him about his different visions um, or when he's raising capital or, or, you know, for kinetic or other things. I mean, I think he's done a, a really good job of being a storyteller on that front. And then if you talk about, you know, to lean in a little bit on what uh, Gabi said, uh, it was interesting on the, on this, uh, maybe a similar trend was he was telling a story uh, in either a big publication. I can't remember if it was Forbes or uh, New York Times or whatever it was in, in his podcast, but he, he he put it out about failure, right? And, and talked about what type of failure that it was. And a lot of people in his inner circles or outside were like, whoa, whoa, you can't, you can't tell that story, right? Like that's, that's not the story we want to tell. And he's like, no, why? He's like, I'm proud of this story because we, we went for something huge. You know, we were trying to become a billion dollar company in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we brought economic development into the region. We created jobs. We raised a ton of capital. And yes, did we ultimately have the outcome that we all wanted? Maybe not, but still, is it a, a success in different ways? Yes. And I think it's his ability to, to paint that story in a unique way is ultimately, you know, came, came through from, how he kind of talked about that story that ultimately, uh, you know, he's now running for mayor and, and he's continuing to do things in his life and his in investors that previously invested in the company are, are wanting to support him again because he told the right story. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've seen a potential investor or anyone left uh, kinetic office without a positive <laughs> thought in their head. Uh, <laughs> Especially maybe this is bourbon. Yeah, or, uh... Generally all bourbon. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Brad convinced me to kind of work for Kinetic and take a serious pay cut because of this future vision too. So I'm I'm a victim yeah, to this is. great storytelling. <laughs> uh, I love it. All right, the last big bucket uh, disruptors are great at raising capital, and the funny thing is, at least between these two and a few others that we know, they don't like it. Prior to Wendell and prior to our institutional fund, which we have now. When we started a, an angel group and an angel fund, my sales pitch, when you talk about being bankable, thank God, I guess I was bankable because I was a founder yep. before, but my sales pitch was, I have no idea what I'm doing, but this feels really good and I'm going to quit my job and do this full time. Yeah. And lo and behold, that pitch worked. To put it in perspective, if you want numbers, I mean, I pitched 220, because I wrote it down, 222 investors and only got... 53 of them to say yes. Wow. So I got told no 169 times or whatever that is. Sort of sucked. So pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's weird, right? I, I, I personally, I don't know what, I don't think Brad and I talk about it a lot, but I would have not guessed that he didn't get energy from fundraising. Oh, not at all. But why do you, so why do you think, you know, disruptor. What, what's? Why are they so good at it? And what? What's the energy suck? Do you think? I think it's. I think the energy suck is that they just know it's what needs to be done, and they're the ones that are capable of doing it, right? And 
I think they wish maybe, right? If you hear Brad's different profiles that he'd like to bring on his team or even yourself, like they'd love to have a closer that could go out and, and close around and do those things. But sometimes you just, you don't always have that person. And there's a lot of nebulous pieces that need to be kind of, you know, brought together a lot by intuition, right? By their instincts. And then ultimately they have to flex in to, to close the deal when needed. And I just think that exhausts more energy. And I think it goes back to their innate traits that they're a little bit more introverted than you would think. Uh, they're coming out in an extroverted manner and flexing into that in order to get the job done that ultimately is going to help them disrupt. But beneath the surface, they'd rather be building. They'd rather be you know, working in an Excel spreadsheet to find a unique insight that ultimately allows them to uh, create a innovation that ultimately changes the world. Right. And so I think that's a little bit why. And, I, and again, I've seen this even outside um, of Brad. I've seen it from someone that's been super, super successful and been through a billion dollar acquisition and, and, and in a new role post that, uh, that opportunity, he had to kind of work with venture capitalists and other people to kind of tell a story to uh, fund this thriving venture capital uh, backed company that he was involved with. And, and he got the job done, but when he was done and it was like, Hey, I need to go get bourbon now, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Or I need coffee. And, and it's because it's just not in his natural DNA, regardless if he can flex in to do it. And that's what we talk. We hear this term flex that enterprisers can flex typically a little bit more for a longer period of time than the other vectors can, but ultimately they're people and, and, and they have to ultimately go back to what they get natural energy from. And I have seen that raising capital or even selling in general is not always in their top five things that they'd like to do. Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at Gavi and Brad just in isolation, they've probably raised more capital than, I mean, 99% of the like Cincinnati startup ecosystem. You know, Gavi raised $30 million just with Ekron. Brad's raised $30-plus through venture funds. <laughs> that, that, you know, in other cities, that might not be you know, amazing or the, what you're aspiring to be, but here it's that's pretty good yeah and and what's interesting too is i mean they probably could have raised more too uh but it's the balance of trying to raise the right amount that can be the you know potential good uh return for investors um and you know we've probably seen maybe a couple more in this ecosystem that have raised a little bit more in aggregate but uh ultimately left for kind of a little bit more negative stories uh and so i think that's the thing where the disruptor has the ability to go after something big and still, even if it doesn't turn out the exact way that it was intended, it still seems to be a positive. And so, yeah, that, that's an awesome feat by both of them because I didn't touch raising anywhere that amount of money when I was raising my company. One, because I didn't think I needed to raise all that capital, but also at the same time, like, I don't know if I would have been as effective as a disruptor, uh, even though I probably enjoyed it more than a disruptor would. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a part of what makes them great is they're able to do it without even really realizing that they're trying to make a sale. So I'm going to say I'm a startup founder, solo founder, and profile doesn't matter. Why would I look for a disruptor? When would you recommend bring, bringing one on? Uh, would it be co-founder capacity? Uh, just based on your experience. I know it's hard without knowing the person, but uh, just high level. When, when would you recommend entrepreneurs to seek out and work with a disruptor? I look at it when there's a 
deliberate point to where they want to actually go after something huge. And so I think they also need to know that disruptors, they can actually be expensive, not only from their talents, but they do require a strong team and they do require the right amount of resources to get what they need. So sometimes it's a little dangerous, right? Like they can move forward in the beginning and be scrappy, but for them to ultimately be as, as good as they can, um, I do find it to be when you're out of that kind of product market fit level and it's like, okay, now I can put some investment dollars into some performance marketing or other things. And and I know this again from the, the other disruptor that I mentioned that is probably the perfect case study of this that came from a corporation and, and came into this company and, and literally helped them scale exponentially, but needed the right resources to do it. And, and if they have those, then I honestly think they, the sky can be the limit. So personally, I would say is they could be early on, but also uh, I think it's better to be a little bit further along for a disruptor because I think then you'll get their, uh, their ability to, to kind of take it to the next level. So maybe like series A. Yeah. Like series A. Tiny. Yeah. Have some capital, let them, mm-hmm. let them lose on maybe one or two initiatives and uh, you can continue. Yeah. And, and the challenge and sometimes too is, is I think they have to also have the passion and purpose at that time, right? Where sometimes that happens more at the very early times where it's like, okay, we're all thinking of this idea. Yeah. To, I don't think disruptors have to have it to be their idea. Um, I think it's, I think they, is, is they believe where the company could be going and, and the why behind it. And that's fine. Where some profiles, I find that like, if they're not there in the beginning, watch out because they're going to want it to be their idea. Mm-hmm. And I think disruptors don't necessarily need that. All right. Perfect. Well, uh, I think that wraps up the disruptor convo. Uh, you were not part of last week's discussion, so I'd love to get your perspective on profiles you love, profiles you hate. What would be your number one hire and what would be your number one avoid? Yeah. I mean, I think probably was mentioned if accelerator was talked about, or even my journey with startup DNA is, you know, I'm just a big, uh, fan of the collaborator bucket, specifically the operator profile, both from a personal standpoint and from a professional standpoint, I've just seen time and time again that I naturally gravitate towards that profile. They complement, you know, when my head's kind of in the sky at times and I'm able to kind of flex down and operate with them, uh, they, they are a steady eddy. They able to move the ball across the field. I oftentimes the great running back to the quarterback compliment or head coach to defense and offensive coordinator. Uh, so I really like the, uh, the operator profile. It's funny when I go to the, the profile that scares me the most, I often say rather than the one I like least like working <laughs> with. Yeah. Um, and this is changing as of late. I mean, obviously there's natural DNAs that you're just, your, your mind thinks differently. And I think now that I know more about that, I've been able to, to work better and, and also look in hindsight of why I actually needed a certain profile because they complemented the way my DNA uh, was, was made up. Uh, but now that I know more about the strategist profile and I also know more about the uh, organizer profile, those are actually the two profiles that scare me. <laughs> and it's because... Uh, what do you mean scare you? It's, it's, I think they're able to, to be very successful on their own. Um, and sometimes that's where I'm like, Hey, I might invest in a strategist or I might want to be cordial with a strategist, (laughs) uh, or I might want to partner with them in some shape or form on a business deal. Right. But in terms of coming into my inner circle and working with me day to day, 
our brains just there's there's a danger, right? Where ultimately everything that I'm moving and, and doing and sometimes flying by the seat of my pants, but but there is a calculated uh, planets beneath that, and I call that options. Uh, and it's funny in some other tests they actually take the word strategist, and it actually if defined means you have multiple options, and then you converge on the best route forward. And so, but in our test, I find that the strategist really they they have to see it their way. And if it's done their way, their way can be the best at scale. But I think that it can also bring down the morale of some of the team if it's not going the way that they want it. That's and, and, and same thing with the organizer, right? The organizer is very organized, balanced to be able to flex in and out of it, but they have a system and that system works really well for them. And they can bend into the other system, but I sometimes feel that the morale can be brought down uh, if it's not lining up to the way they like to get things done. So that's what I mean a little bit more about scare. It's no, not that good. I can't work with them. It's just, I find it tough that can I contain them? And ultimately is, is it something they're going to have to move on on their own, uh, regardless? And in the short term, are we actually getting the impact and benefit in the short term that we need? And maybe that's my accelerator mindset that I just got to keep moving forward. Uh, maybe sometimes the strategists are setting things up for long term that will scale in a better way. No, I, I obviously get it. So, uh, Alex, thank you for joining. Is there anything you would like to selfishly plug to our millions of listeners right now? Oh. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, well, that's funny. It caught me off guard. I think of all the ones that I'd selfishly plug of what I've been working on. And a lot of that is seen, uh, with the work we've done here at window is, is, is a website called primeprospecting.com. And what that is, oh, is it's, did it. yeah, I did it. It's all about <laughs> helping navigate, uh, you know, towards your next opportunity. And, and I believe just like disruptors, um, that the only way you can really get there is, is finding the right people at the right time, uh, for the right opportunity. And if you can collide those all in a, in a scaled and, uh, kind of serendipitous, I'd like to say, uh, we call it Zuki, Zuki netics, you know, combining our two organizations, Zuki and, and kinetic that, uh, we can start to predict better outcomes. And we do that, uh, based upon, finding people startup DNA within uh, part of the workflow of prime prospecting. So check it out. If you're looking for your next job or your next opportunity, uh, you might find that it might navigate you to, towards something cool. Awesome. Love that. Uh, thank you to everyone listening. And we'll be back next week discussing the problem solver. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to The Aggregate, hosted by Kinetic Ventures. Kinetic Ventures is an early stage VC that is disrupting venture capital by replacing the pitch with an automated data-driven approach. What's the benefit? A completely unbiased investment process that allows funders to spend more time building their business. To learn more about Kinetic or apply for funding, please visit us at www.kinetic.ventures.